Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. Let's take tech in the right direction to drive social change and close the employment, pay, and culture gap for women in technology. This podcast is focused on helping turn ideas into action and create opportunities for women to advance in the dynamic technology industry. I hope this podcast will inspire and motivate you to encourage more women and girls to seek or grow a career as a woman in technology. Stories about the journey of amazing women in the tech field starts right now. Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. This week, Jennifer will be speaking with Jennifer Buchholz, founder of Excel and Flourish, a corporate technical training company. She helps organizations, teams, and individuals leverage their technology to save time, increase productivity, and reduce frustration. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. I'm so excited to have you on. Great to be here. Great. Let's get started. Um, So as a woman in tech, can you share with us your career journey and how you got to where you are today? Absolutely. I think for me, I've always been technically inclined. My mom was an administrative assistant. And so everything in our household was either in a spreadsheet, a database, or a Word document. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Right? So with that, I've always had that technically inclined. And As time went on, I became just as an end user, the subject matter expert in any role I was in. And eventually I ended up getting certified as a trainer and started my own business in that space. But it was really never by design. My bachelor's is in communication. My master's is in adult learning. So I don't have a tech background per se. It's just maybe more of a knack and a desire for it. That's great. So how did you, you know, what sparked you into technology? You know, it was so funny. I was at a job at a really large corporation in Chicago, and they were trying to do budget forecasting for the next year. And I did mine on a spreadsheet. And I'm like, yeah, this is pretty great. And I felt really good about it. But I didn't realize that I was the only project manager there using a spreadsheet to do this. And again, this was early 90s. So it, it just was a different time. And all of a sudden, they're like, wow, this is magnificent. Can you train all our project managers on how to use this thing you created? And again, it was even getting people to conceptualize what the spreadsheet was, how it would be an advantage over the old way that they did things, and why they should listen to me at 20-something. So just kind of the spark was that it was giving us better data, and it was easier for people to do but that it was a huge change. And so that interpersonal like conflict and change management was a fun part of that solution as well. That's awesome. Um, was that like Lotus one, two, three at that time? Ah, it was, we were, we were right. We were right on the cusp. Actually our company was using Excel and we were using Lotus notes for all of our workflow. Oh. Mm-hmm. Boy, I remember those days. So we've been in business over 30 years and it's just, you know, brings back those memories of the old applications. So that's kind of fun. Now, um, as you know, this podcast is really focused on bridging employment, pay, and culture gap for women in technology. So what are you seeing in the industry today? Well, so my when you think about employment and pay and culture, and then you were looking at women in general, 
I feel like so many times we don't know what we don't know, and we've been handed the job and the tools to do the job as it stands. And because we're just kind of told what to do in many cases, there's not a lot of creativity and innovation. And I actually think that that's our biggest opportunity um, for women to close the pay gap is to take some ownership of how we are leveraging our technology and, you know, take the ownership, ask the questions, get curious and creative and start coming up with solutions that people didn't even really realize this might have been a problem until you solve for it. And then they're like, oh, my gosh, you just saved how much time? So I think that those are the those are the phases that we can use to help really bridge the gap is encouraging that curiosity. I love that. Um, I've never thought about it that way that, you know, a lot of times women are just given the task and told what to do. And so a lot of times they don't have ownership and we talk about confidence, but really we need women to step up and have that confidence to take ownership, take initiative. Like you said, be curious, be creative, be innovative. Um, Those are all very great pieces to how we can really bridge this gap. I love, I love that mindset because I think we need to do more of that every day. And it comes from confidence, definitely. Um, But if I think back to you creating that spreadsheet and sending it off, it was creative, it was innovative, it was, um, you know, you took initiative, you took an ownership to do it your way, which was really a great way, which women do have the ability to, um, we have a lot of qualities that, you know, can take us to the next level, but sometimes we don't show that ownership. So I love that. Absolutely. I mean, when you think about how many balls you're juggling as a woman, possibly as a partner, possibly as a parent, and, you know, the creativity is there. It's just often stifled in the workplace because we're just doing routine. And I think it's a really great opportunity to shake things up. I love that. Yeah. So, you know, you're in the technology training business and technology is in every every organization right now from a mom and pop, you know, startup to the enterprise. I mean, everybody has to have technology in their organization in order to be successful. Uh, You can't do things the old way, you know, with the pen and paper anymore. I remember when, you know, 30 years ago, we had paper rosters that we would actually write on to have each student name and the date they signed up and all their registration details. And now everything is computerized. So what are some of the best practices when companies are looking to choose tech for their organization? And how how can you guide them to be more strategic and plan for a long-term solution rather than just looking at that next week or next month or next six months? I think we're in a really interesting time with technology and the longer term view of what our workplaces are going to be like. And, you know, it was one thing when people were mostly in person, you know, and they may have had remote teams in the enterprise level, but when everybody went to a remote workplace situation and work from home, that changed our relationship with technology and it changed some expectations. What I'm seeing happening next is adopting or adapting to the new version of the hybrid workplace. 
And that doesn't just involve your coworkers, but often more involving customers and things like that. One of the things that I've been helping organizations with and to think through for any organization is how do you make sure that you're having an inclusive relationship with your team or your customers or whoever your stakeholders are if they are hybrid? So if you have you know, a meeting with 10 people and five are in the room and five are remote, how do you make sure that that's one cohesive meeting? Not just, you know, the people online are chatting and the people in the room are chatting and, oh my gosh, we have a handout. How do you get that to everybody? You know, how do people who are on screen get time? And as, you know, I actually work with a friend who is an advocate for women during divorce and she was supposed to attend a meeting with an attorney. And I said, before you're attending this meeting, ask the questions. Are you going to be on a phone? Are you going to be on a laptop computer that only one person sees? Are you going to be able to see everybody in the room? Our businesses need to start really considering that experience. Yeah, that's the inclusivity of that is so important. Um, And it becomes very tough to have that hybrid situation because the people in the room seem to always take over versus the people that are online. And so from a facilitator standpoint, that is so critical to make sure everybody has a voice and everybody is heard and they all feel the same feeling of inclusivity in the classroom or in the, you know, in the meeting. So that is so true. And we really need to be thinking differently because I don't think this remote world is going to go away. How about you? It's not. It's not. And I mean, it definitely is the new way of doing business for more people, right? Again, the enterprise level always recognized. We have people in different countries and things like that. But the the local place with 20 employees, they didn't know. They didn't feel that. And now they do. And the expectations are different. And leaders are going to have to embrace technology, the good and the bad of it, to recognize that it's not all it's not all one or the other in order for everybody to be successful. So what do you think of um, managers and leaders that feel like people who work remotely don't really work or they're not really doing their job, uh, so we don't want to go to a remote workforce, we have to have everybody come back into the office? What would you say to that manager or leader? Well, I think we've been able to prove that out to some degree, right? Like, in, in fact, we've been able to recognize that people were getting things done from home and the good and bad of that, the distractions, as well as the the fact that they're not commuting, they're scheduling meetings back to back. There's not even a chance to walk to the water cooler or the restroom, you know, in many cases. (laughs) And, And I think what we have to be aware of is not just the productivity, because I think if people aren't producing, that's a really easy conversation to have in a way. It's the connection. You know, when you look at Gallup and their Q12 and one of their questions to ensure organizational engagement is, do you have a best friend at work? And that's a really big factor on whether people stay in that company or not. And especially in our tight labor market. How do you create opportunities for your remote workers you know, whether they're coming into the office, you know, two days a week or, or five, 
how do you create that opportunity for them to forge those best friend relationships, especially when you want to make sure you keep them? Yeah, I love that. Do you have a best friend at work? Because you really need that in order to be excited to come to work every day and be part of a remote world, right? Um, I think people are, I I should not even talk about everybody else. I can talk about me. I am video fatigued right now, you know, after 17 months of doing this with camera. I mean, we immediately went to camera as soon as the pandemic started because that was a connection point for our team to really connect with our customers, with our partners, uh, with our staff. Um, And now it's, you're right, it's back to back to back to back meetings. So they have proved that they can really be productive from home, even with all the challenges of kids being at home everybody sharing the same internet, not having a dedicated office, those types of things. So if you could take out those distractions, they could be much more productive. Right, right. And back to school in most places, I think is actually happening for real in in Mm -hmm. fall. So that, again, I think that shifts the dynamic just a little bit as well. So my next question is very interesting because you're in the business of making employees more productive using technology. That's what you do. Um, So how do you overcome inbox overwhelm? Because I need this answer. I mean, I get hundreds of emails a day and I'm so anal about making sure that I stay on top of them. But there's a level of um, stress and fatigue that goes along with that that may compromise work-life balance. So what are your thoughts? Well, so I love it. I love that you're a prime example because I'd love to hear your thoughts on some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So first of all, overcoming inbox overwhelm is one of the things I teach because too many times we focus on like, what can the tool do? Not how to think about using the tool. So first of all, we help everybody get to inbox zero if they're not there yet. But it sounds like you're actually pretty on top of how Mm -hmm. your emails work. Mm-hmm. One thing, one pro tip right now for getting to inbox zero is first of all, there's a fabulous tool out there called unroll.me, unroll.me. And that's a tool to help you manage all of those subscription emails that you get, whether it's newsletters or shopping coupons or whatever. So unroll.me is great. And the other thing is it kind of goes against what we learned when we were growing up with Outlook, because when we grew up with Outlook, we learned how to file things like we would file paper in a filing cabinet. So we'd have file folders in like accordion files in like um, hanging file folders in file cabinets. And we'd subfolder, 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 everything Mm -hmm. in Outlook as well. Well, Outlook's search has gotten so much better that unless you, if you have a pile hanging out in your inbox right now and you're not like, you're not sure if you should keep it or delete it or where to put it, just make a folder that you call keep or 2021 and move all the stuff that's just in this holding pattern in your inbox, move it. So then you're only looking at the stuff that you need to actually be getting done. That's in your inbox. Not wondering like I, one of my ideas is stop the scroll. If you have to keep scrolling through your inbox to figure out what you should do next, you have too much stuff going on in there. Did you know that there is an increase in the number of women leaving the tech industry? As a woman-owned business, Directions Training has made it our mission and passion to change this statistic. That's why Jennifer created this podcast. 
we showcase insight from everyday women for everyday women in the tech industry. Do you know other people that would benefit from tuning in? Share the link and help us drive the advancement of women in the tech industry. Do you have a journey or know of someone that our listeners would benefit from hearing about? Reach out to us at directionstraining.com slash podcast. Don't forget to follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and wherever you find your podcasts. Now, back to the show. That is so interesting. You got me thinking. So, (laughs) (laughs) So I do the old school way of folders. But I also use search all the time because Mm -hmm. there, you know, I know where I put it because it's context sensitive. You know, if I'm uh, working with uh, a Microsoft project, then I'll put it in Microsoft projects folder. And so I have a starting point. So it's not looking through probably 500,000 emails. (laughs) (laughs) So I put them in there and then I search within that that uh, folder to what I want. And it's pretty efficient, I think. One of the big things for me is in my inbox, I only keep things that are to-dos per se, things that I have to work on. And if I have any more than 35 to 40, I have anxiety. (laughs) Exactly. So those are the active things I'm working on. And as I complete them, they go into a folder, you know, But that's kind of how I work. Is that a good practice or is there any other great tips that you can give me? No, you're right on track. I agree with I agree with everything you're saying so far. So the two things that I use to manage my to do list in my inbox is I use flags to indicate the urgency Mm because not everything has to be done today. Some some things could possibly wait till the end of the week. So I use all my flags for urgency. And then I use categories for importance. And I actually use like a red, a green, and a yellow type of category that then says, okay, red means this is a hot item and I have got to get it done, where a green item could maybe get pushed. Because what I found was in Outlook, you have a lot of great tools to indicate when. But if you have 10 things due for today, then you're going to have to scroll to figure out which one to start with. And that's where the categories come in. That's great. So I do use both. I use flags um, and I use categories, but what I've done is my categories are not red and green. They're more podcasts, projects, internal meetings, you know, and then I use colors to actually identify that. So when I look at my calendar, I know which ones are internal meetings, which are podcasts, you know, so it's real easy for me to see, okay, this week, how many podcast recordings do I have or how many internal meetings do I have or external meetings? Uh, Plus it, you know, makes me know for our internal meetings, we're now, you know, if it's just us internally, then we try, depending on the meeting, I guess we try not to have camera on if it's just two people talking, but then if it's a group, then we'll have the camera on. So that kind of helps me too, to decipher internal meetings versus external meetings. So that's great. Have you tried Microsoft's newer product called to do? I have not in my outlook, but I have it on my phone Uh, because it used to be wonderless, right? Yes, very good. Yes. And I and used it, to have Wonderlist and then I upgraded to make it to do. So I use it on my phone a lot for like personal stuff, but I don't use it in Outlook. 
Yeah, so it doesn't sync well. Well, it kind of syncs with the um, Outlook desktop. And then it is the to, it is the task list in the Outlook web. But the most beautiful thing about to-do is that you have the option of you know adding all the tasks you want or all the lists. So if you're using it for personal, that's brilliant as well. But you can actually flag the things that you want for today. You add it to my day. And what's great about that is it starts fresh every day. Nice. So nothing is carrying over. It doesn't delete anything. You don't lose it. But at least you get a fresh start every day in case, you know, your priorities change. Right, right. Because, you know, I might decide these are the things I want to do today, but then I have to put out a fire or I need to take an extra meeting that prevents me from doing that. Then I can always flag it for tomorrow. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's great. I love these tips and tricks because I think our listeners can learn from it as well as, you know, um, just we can learn how to just be more productive because time is money. And sometimes, you know, you just don't have the time and you have to be efficient. Exactly. So um, what's one thing you wish you knew when you began your career that you found out later? I kind of wish I knew that this was going to be the direction I ended up after 20 some mm -hmm. years in my career, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, if only we could see the future. I I may have done things a little bit differently. I haven't, while I am a woman in tech, I don't always consider myself a woman in tech because I'm a trainer and, you know, I'm, in, I'm hopefully more about enabling tech than as a tech user. Mm -hmm. um, but really the fact that I'll go back to the idea of curiosity. So we build on it, right? With anything with technology, once you hit, you're comfortable with it, you gain the confidence. The curiosity and the creativity are the best parts of what make tech great. And if I would have learned to have been more curious and creative earlier, I probably would have gotten more involved in, you know, some coding, you know, things like that, that has, has eluded me. Yeah. What is your most favorite part of your job? Like, what do you love about it? I'm going to guess that you might love this too if you're still <laughs> in the classroom. There's this yeah. moment. There's this moment when, and I can, I get the moment whether I'm training virtually because I do ask my students to stay on screen if possible, or if I'm in person. There's this moment when you teach them that one thing and their eyes start to roll in the back of their head just a little bit because they're mentally calculating how much time they could have saved in their lives if they'd have known this thing, you know, how many years earlier. Yes, and, absolutely. Right? Right? And then there's some joy that comes in that. That's what makes me both. Then I kind of want to say, oh, and then did you know this? And did you know this? Because it's such a, so rewarding. I agree. And I knew you were going to say that. That's why I asked the question <laughs> because I felt the same way. It was like the light bulb moment, you know, it like sinks in. And then my students have told me in the past, they're like, Okay, so where were you 10 years ago when I really needed to know this and yeah. I was doing it the hard way? It's like you showed me a shortcut that's just going to save me hours and hours of work, you know. Um, so I think, yeah, that's that's the teacher in us. And, and if we are fulfilled by that, it just gives you more joy every day. And my second one for that is also that I learn something from my students every day. You know, um, it wasn't yes. just... Um, it's not just teaching them, but somebody might hit a key differently and get a different screen or somebody might 
be doing it a different way and they may ask you for help where they are. And it really shows you so many different ways you can get the same results. So I thought that was pretty cool too. Yeah, I love learning from my students. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I am very passionate about technology, uh, but in this new day and age with the cloud, it gets harder and harder to stay current and relevant. Um, what are some of the things that you do to stay current and relevant so that maybe our listeners can learn and maybe put into practice? Absolutely. Well, I think there are some amazing online trainers out there. And so when sometimes I'm just watching for like, hey, what's new? What's new coming out? So I especially like training in any of the Microsoft products. Actually, today I even got an email about something new in Firefox. And oh, this can really help people. So I I get a handful of newsletters. I watch training mostly through LinkedIn and YouTube. But then I also have probably my favorite online trainers that if I if I really need to learn something about macros in Excel, I have the guy that I like to learn that from. And I just mm-hmm. keep going back to those resources. And what's great is some of those trainers that are out there are getting um, they're giving you like lifetime access to the information. So but I also find as a trainer people don't always know what questions to ask. So I don't know about you, Jennifer, but sometimes I feel like I'm translating between the problem that they're having and then how do you ask the question to find the answer that they Mm -hmm. want? Does that Mm -hmm. sound familiar? That makes perfect sense, yes. So yeah, I, I completely agree. It's like sometimes you need to know the right questions to ask in order to get your answer that you want. And if you're not able to articulate that, it can slow down the process. So very, very accurate. Well, and on the flip side of it, if you know the question to ask and then you go find the answer somewhere, sometimes you don't know how to apply it back to the work that you're doing. So there's another layer of translation. And again, that's why having human trainers is is additive. I don't think it should be one or the other. The um, the online materials are fantastic. But having a trainer who can translate on all all sides of it can really cut down the time you spend in the YouTube rabbit hole. Mhm. I also believe that um learning is a build upon process. So when I'm learning, I'm going through and if I have a question, and I can ask an instructor that question right when I have it, it builds on my learning. And whereas when you're using tools, sometimes you have that question and if that's unanswered, it's kind of difficult to go on because it's like really in your head thinking, okay, but if I knew this, then I could really absorb this. Have you seen that? I completely agree. Great, great. Yeah, so I think, you know, uh, it is so important to stay relevant, obviously listen to videos, go to some classes. Um, Do you dedicate time on your calendar to do that or does it happen just as you need it? What is some of uh, your practices for staying relevant? So, first of all, I do get this really great daily digest newsletter that's telling me about anything new. So that's a daily practice. And typically my trainings are happening Tuesday through Thursday. That's typically Mm -hmm. the days that people want the training rather than Monday and Friday. 
So that allows me to have more free time on Mondays and Fridays to do that professional development. Even um, there's conferences like Ignite that's coming up and other types of, you know, professional gatherings to go and connect with people as well as the concepts. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think, you know, it is important to schedule time out because I feel that's the only time I'll get stuff done is if it's on my calendar. So I schedule time out pretty much for everything because then it just happens as a normal activity rather than, oh, now I have to put myself in this mode and go learn versus, you know, react. And so I think putting it in your calendar, looking at your calendar for the day, the next day or the rest of the week uh, really gives you that energy to focus on it more often than not. Yes, 100%. All right. So here's another area of uh, passion for me is uh, women in technology. And we talked a little bit about that in the beginning. Um, But, you know, those numbers are declining, unfortunately. We um, are trying so hard and we're doing so much in order to bring more women into technology. Uh, But I really believe that, you know, our pipeline is built on girls. We have to get girls at the right age. And I believe that's from eight to 13 to be interested in technology. And uh, if we can get them at that point, we'll build our future just automatically. Whereas now we're struggling Uh, to keep women into the tech field because, you know, it's such a male-dominated industry that sometimes they're not comfortable, they don't have the confidence, they don't have the ownership, like you said. Um, So what are some of the things that we can do to help and bring in more women, girls, and also people of color? I am very focused um, this year in really bringing more women, women of color, people of color into the technology ecosystem? So part of that goes to where are the mentors for this, right? Mm -hmm. And that's part of the role that I like to, I like to be a part of is, you know, by, in order to be a mentor, somebody has to be raising their hand. And as a trainer, we get to see this untapped potential. And when you can see, again, that they've gotten past that um, comfortable and confident and they're moving into the curious and creative, it's to say, hey, have you considered that, you know, this skill set is going to serve you well if you decided to just focus on that and starting to connect them to additional trainings and opportunities. I know in our area with the girls, we have a girls who code um, mm-hmm. And a lot of camps and stuff like that around that, which is amazing. I don't know what they're doing from a career path standpoint then. Is it like, is it just a summer camp or are they actually mm-hmm. connecting them to more opportunities? But the other part that I'm starting to see more, Jennifer, and I'm, I'm real curious what you're seeing. I'm in a couple um, Facebook groups, some mm-hmm. for um, women who want more financial freedom, others who have now gotten through 2020 and are realizing like they really want jobs that are going to allow them a lot more flexibility in a remote. And we're hearing more and more about how things in tech, whether it's code, whether it's working for organizations such as Salesforce as developers and things like that, like it's starting to attract a different generation of Mm -hmm. people who have been in traditional careers 
and now are looking for how can I make a great amount of money and have, you know, the lifestyle that I want. And they're seeing tech can enable that. And I think that's one of the things that we could really piggyback on. Yeah, I love that. I love that you started out this um, segment with where are the mentors? Because today, in order for us to get people of color, girls, women into those job roles, they have to see somebody who's done it and is successful at it. Then they have, they build the confidence to say, oh, if she can do it, I can do it. And so we really need those role models. We need those mentors to be raising their hands and telling their stories so that the new, um, the new generation are modeling and saying, I can do that. If she can do that, I can do that. I can see myself because I look like her. I can feel like if she's a woman and I'm a woman, I can get there. If she's a girl and I'm a girl, I can get there. You know, all of those types of things. So, uh, so I love that comment about where are the mentors because we just need more of them. Absolutely. So, you know, we've not had a lot of travel lately with the pandemic, but people are starting to travel again. So tell us about your most favorite place that you've traveled to and why. I have been fortunate enough to do a good amount of travel. And part of that is enabled because I work for myself and work in tech so I can do things remote. My favorite place in the world is the South Island of New Zealand. Um, and I've had the chance, I've had three trips to New Zealand. I've been to the South Island twice and it is just, you know, so far away that first, that's one of the best parts. It's so far away and the time zones are so different that everything is off kilter as to what's going on at home. And it it almost creates that break. Even if Mm. you can have technology while you're there, it's not the easiest, um, easiest to manage Mm -hmm. and it's just beautiful and the people are great and it's just you know the kiwi the folks in new zealand the kiwis they are just fun and it's a very light-hearted place to be so if you ever get the chance i highly recommend it i'm taking notes that's why i asked this question (laughs) so that i can find new places to go absolutely (laughs) i love to travel but yes the south island of new zealand that is just amazing and i love that you know you because it's so far away that you can disconnect because i'm not good at disconnecting i never disconnect and that's a bad thing it just you know wears on you over time so um definitely you know when you when you can't do it, then you don't do it. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's great. I love that. So that's going on my bucket list for, awesome. um, you know, places to visit. That's great. All right. So in closing, Jennifer, what advice would you give to a woman considering a career in the tech industry? So, you know, find something that's interesting to you. If you have, like, if your mind works really well with logic and stuff like that, Find tools like that. But if you like tech and you like people, find something like a training role that helps you connect tech to people. Don't feel like you have to fit in a certain bucket. I feel like that's the biggest thing I've learned in this as a woman in tech and a trainer. Um, It's that you can still be you. You don't have to put on this persona of who you think a woman in tech is supposed to be. And 
in that way, you're going to shine in your career and enjoy it and hopefully be able to embrace it for a very long time. That's great advice. And I think, you know, we say this often in our show is that not everyone in tech is a coder or a developer. And if you don't like that, there's still tons of opportunity in marketing and training and, um, you know, um, selling. I mean, there's just a lot of different areas of tech that uh, women should consider because it is a really lucrative industry and uh, it gives you freedom you know, to work from home or work from anywhere. So that's, that's really awesome. Absolutely, um, Jennifer, this was such a pleasure. I really enjoyed our time together. I'd love to have you back again uh, in the future for another show. But in the meantime, could you share with our listeners how they can get a hold of you? Absolutely. You guys can find me at excelandflourish.com. That's E-X-C-E-L-A-N-D-F-L-O-U-R-I-S-H.com. Email is jennifer at excelandflourish.com or feel free to go to the website and I'm sure you can find me from there. That's awesome. Well, Jennifer, thank you again. It was such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Tech in the Right Direction. Please take a minute to subscribe or follow so that you never miss an episode. Also, don't forget to like, share, and comment. Thank you. See you next week. From IT skill enhancements to end-user adoption training, Directions Training is your resource to help optimize the effectiveness of your technology investments. Over half a million students have taken advantage of our wide selection of technology and business training solutions covering the most popular applications today, such as Microsoft 365, Azure, Windows 10, and more. As a podcast listener, we invite you to take advantage of an exclusive offer. Receive 30 days of free access to our Microsoft official curriculum on-demand courses for IT professionals or end users. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com slash podcast to claim this offer today. Hurry, this offer is only available for a limited time. Success is a journey. Ask for directions.